Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. You know, today it has been almost a year to the day that on November 25th, 2008, when I first had the privilege to interview Dr. Alan Hamilton about his book, The Scalpel and the Soul. And I believe that the radio show was Quantum Radio. I don't have it anymore. But I am thrilled that eight years later, uh, I once again get to go on a mission together. And I'm very excited to have the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Alan Hamilton about all manner of things, including his latest book, Lead With Your Heart, Lessons from a Life with Horses, a book which consists of over 100 thoughtful essays, thoughts that came to him while working with his horses, especially Romeo. And the essays are metaphors for our own personal, professional, and spiritual growth. Now, as an award-winning author and celebrant, neurosurgeon, Dr. Hamilton uses his understanding of the human brain. He combines it with nearly 30 years of experience training horses, and this is where the magic happens. He offers us the reader wisdom on such universal themes such as leadership, motivation, ambition, and humility. Dr. Hamilton has been chosen by his neurosurgical peers as one of America's best doctors. And for the last 18 consecutive years, he was selected as one of the leading intellects of the 21st century. He's also a decorated army officer who served in Operation Desert Storm. And and for those who love trivia, for the last several years, Dr. Hamilton has served as a medical script consultant on more than 150 episodes of the TV hit show, Grey's Anatomy, and four seasons with private practice. There is so much to say and learn about Dr. Hamilton, but let's leave those bits unsaid until we can uncover it together. So please welcome Dr. Alan Hamilton. Welcome, Alan. Hey, Frankie. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. You know, I have thought about you so often through the years. Your book, uh, The Scalpel and the Soul, made such an impact on me. I can't even tell you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, You know, as a Harvard-brained you know, Harvard brain, Harvard trained brain surgeon, uh, you have been called one of the greatest intellects of the 21st century. I mean, what does that feel like? Is there pressure? I, don't, I, I, always, I always think it's such, it's such baloney. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, I, I really don't know what that means. Um, I just think, I just think it, it's probably an indication of that I'm a kind of a weird thinker, that's all. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think maybe because I try and fuse uh, so many things together, and I, I have to say, to me at least, um, so many of these things interrelate. Uh, on the surface, they may not look like they do, uh, but you know my interest in neurosurgery and in integrative healthcare, and um, you know making healthcare safer for people, making neurosurgery safer for people, and then you know uh, training horses. All it all seems not to fit together, but it all makes sense to me. Uh, they they all are a piece of uh, of trying to figure out what we're supposed to do in life's journey. I love it. And, you know, I have been a horse lover my entire life uh, from from the moment, you know, I could see a horse and, and uh, you know, it was daddy, daddy, please get me a horse. Yeah. And and, you know, he was true to himself and we looked for farms and he did buy me a horse. And I had some really beautiful, wonderful horses over the years. Uh, lots of great experiences. And I'm, I'm very jealous that you get to play with them still. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you work hard, you work hard at it. And, and, you know, that's a great thing. But you, you know, this book is, is delightful and it's magical and spiritual and it has a lot of lessons to offer. And for those people who think this is a book about horses, let's tell them it's not. <laughs> tell, well, us, it, tell us more. It, Why it, we should reread your book. It's really about 112 uh, lessons and Yes, I, I learned them uh, from horses, so I describe how they apply for, from horses, but they really are lessons that I've tried to apply to my life, and I think of them really more as things that horses have taught me that have helped me change a little bit the way I see life and the way I interact. Um, you know, I'm still learning, um, and you know, I, I, there, there are plenty of times I wish I had learned the lessons a little bit earlier, but... You know, these horses are sort of like, you know, Zen masters. They're sort of like sensei. So they, they, uh, they're they sitting out there in those pastures waiting and going, ah, uh, so you think you're ready, grasshopper. Uh, we shall <laughs> see. <laughs> you know, gum. <laughs> well, speaking of Zen mind, Zen horse, which was your second book, The Science and Spirituality of Training Horses, for which you won a Nautilus Gold Award. I have to, I have to throw this in because previous Nautilus Gold Award winners include Deepak Chopra. Eckhart Tolle and His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So you certainly sit in the threshold of, you know, greatness. <laughs> Congratulations. I don't, I don't that. deserve to be ranked with those kinds of people, but I do appreciate it. I'd say, oh, yeah. well, I'm pretty sure you probably do. You, you mentioned in the book that no one in your family became horsey except for you. And I, and I thought, okay, you're like, we're like the same age probably, but could you adopt me anyway? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have this theory, um, and it's, and it's called the the uh, the, cos the the dead comedians club, the cosmic comedians club, yeah. and they what they do is they get all of these dead comedians together, and they sort of say what would be really hysterical, and they go wait 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 I got an idea, we'll have this guy, and we'll make him just totally crazy about horses, but here here's the twist, you surround him with a family where no one, absolutely no one wants anything to do with horses and then let's see what happens to them so um it, it, it you funny. know my my family was very always has been very supportive of my love of horses uh but they they never got the bug 
And uh, you know, you know, I remember I bought I bought my daughter a pony, and I put it outside her window with a big bow on it, oh. and I pulled up the blinds, and I said, "Duh!" And she goes, <laughs> "What else did you get me, Daddy?" Because uh, it was just like, no. well, the pony was fine. It was a wonderful pony, and it was a wonderful friend for one of you know, sort of my buddied up with one of my horses, and uh, I loved using the pony for kids, but um, it wasn't something that moved them. And I think you know the 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 this this book, you know, uh, Lessons from a Life with Horses, is really, you know, people say, oh, does it have to be horses? And I, and I go, you know, it can be whatever you want. We all find spirituality with different mechanisms. For me, horses are what really help me find my way in a, from a, in a spiritual way for connect to, you know, spiritual and philosophical lessons. So that's why it was horses for me. You know, speaking about comedians, I think a lot of people don't know that horses are pretty funny. They're pranksters. You know, they like to, they like a good joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, horses are always kind of like sitting off at the side, going, uh, "Watch this," you know. <laughs> watch, yeah. you know watch this but they do have a great sense of humor, and uh, the really great horses, um, you know, come with it with a with a with a funny attitude and a playful attitude, but certainly, as you say, also a mischievous attitude of uh, let's see how good you are, or let's see how well you can concentrate, or uh, let me see what what you do when I uh, throw you a curve like this. So they are they are very um, they're very much jokesters, the the good ones, the intelligent ones. You know, you wrote you write in the book about how people who are who are into horses often buy are looking for too much horse that they're never going to get out of their you know the regular kind of horse uh, what they need, let alone getting a lipizzan, let's say, right? Um, you know, the elite of the elite. Right. Uh, why do you say that? Well, I think uh, by and large, m- most of us look. Uh, you know, this is like one of the first lessons that I really discovered over 30 years of training horses and that is when you're working with a horse and you come upon obstacles they're always you they're not Mm -hmm. the horse and so a lot of times people will go out and they'll buy just these really well-bred horses you know that are really top of the line bloodlines and they're hot horses and uh you know and 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 you you know they just got way too much horse uh, and, and, and you go, what were you after? You know, and it's sort of telling you, you were, you were looking for something that you've sort of almost sabotaged yourself. You know, you've, you've ended up with a hot thoroughbred or a hot Arab. And I love, I love thoroughbreds and I love Arabs. And yes. you say you shouldn't get them. It's just that you sort of say to yourself, well, uh, is this an easy horse for me at the stage in which I want to engage? Because it's not the hot and it's not the bloodlines of the horse that really are going to bring out the best in that horse. It's you. It's how much time you're going to devote to that partnership mm-hmm. that's really going to to um, to make that horse flourish. And you know, if you think about what you're going to make a horse accomplish, uh, you know what a what a a one thousand dollar quarter horse is going to accomplish. It's just going to accomplish ninety five percent of what a top of the line. Uh, quarter horse is going to accomplish because most of us can't get the the, the very last uh, couple of percentage points that that bloodline gives you unless you're you know at the top of national competition or what have you. Have to agree with that, and there is a good lesson in there because I think time spent with anybody brings out the best in them. 
and I, and I sort of feel like people put all these conditions, well, you know, I want a really good horse that's got to be perfectly sound, and, you know, I want it young enough, and, and they do all these things, and I go, holy smokes, have you got a lot of rules before we get to get to find a horse? And I always go, why don't just find any horse and start? Because once you get into it, once you really get into it, every horse has something to teach us. I've never met a horse, period, that didn't teach me something if I was with that horse for 10 minutes. We are going to commercial break. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we are going to commercial break. And when we come back, we have a lot more to speak about with Dr. Alan Hamilton and about his book, Lead With Your Heart. Lots of life lessons coming at you. Stay tuned. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's marching in celebration of what would have been author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's 100th birthday, Oxford University Press has published the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary. The dictionary is both authoritative and a little bit mischievous and includes everyday words plus those invented by Dahl for his books. One of my favorite words from the dictionary is Zazimus. That is what the big friendly giant calls the stuff that dreams are made of, which he whisks with his magical egg beater. Roald Dahl loves the letter Z, which he uses in his mystical words like fizz whizzing, zip fizzing, and zunk. By now, you might be feeling a bit biff squiggled. That's another word for confused or puzzled. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Women's Health Magazine cited a recent study that showed 41% of women said the main reason they do not eat better is because they do not have enough time. It takes time to plan healthy, low-calorie meals, not to mention going to the store and buying the right foods. But it's worth it. A survey by the CDC found that almost 40% of people who lost a significant amount of weight and kept it off planned their weekly meals. Map out your meals for a week, spending just an hour or two on the weekend. Shopping for a week's worth of healthy meals will save you time and pounds in the long run. If you take the time to plan out what you're going to eat and have it on hand, you will be successful in your weight loss and not be tempted to eat junk food. Mapping out your eating is a good idea. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. And we're back. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. My guest today is Dr. Alan J. Hamilton, neurosurgeon and author of Lead With Your Heart, Lessons from a Life with Horses. We, when we were Just before we went to break, we were talking about the attention, getting, giving and getting attention. And it's so important in life to be able to give those that you love the attention that they need. And certainly with our children, it helps with their growth and with our horses. Um, you talk about consistency being the key. You know, to to work with a horse, you can't do it once a week. You have to do it daily, at least five days a week. Well, I think that's part of the commitment. Um, you know, I think that's the way horses learn best. I think that's the way we learn best. But the the you know the real lesson from the horses, you have to have integrity to have partnership. 
-hmm. And that's true with your kids, it's true with your spouse, it's true with your coworkers, any team that you're working with. Um, and you know, the horse is very sensitive. Even if you go in the round pen and you, you start working with the horse, but you're looking at your watch going, oh, I got about 15 minutes to get this done. The horse immediately senses that you have an agenda. Mm -hmm. And and the, yeah, and the horse will change because the horse starts to say there's something predatory. You're trying to get something out of me, as opposed to um, you're in this relationship just for the partnership. And whether we get it today or we get it tomorrow or we get it for a month from now, doesn't matter. And so that little change um, is enough to cue the horse in that you're not really present uh, for the horse. You know. I want to go. I want to talk about the relationship between predator and prey, but I. But because we're talking about energy at the moment, let, let's talk about that for a moment. Because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that you meet, horse people, and other people that you speak to, uh, who, who, let's say maybe aren't as um, into the woo-woo, and if we want to call it that, or energy lessons on energy and tr you know transmitting energy and and, right. and thought with animals and with other people. I think everybody kind of understands you can walk into a room and feel something's not right. But like you said, this agenda with a horse, the horse is feeling your energy, knowing uh, you're not present. Right. Horses are about a thousand times more sensitive to energy than we are, and they have to be because they're predators. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I have five horses out in a pasture that's four acres wide, um, and I, I pick up a halter and I say, I want that uh, paint horse over there or that sorrel horse over there. As soon as I pick that horse out, that horse will pick up his head. The other horses will keep grazing because that horse is so, so, has felt that I'm now staring at him and I picked him out for something. So, so people say, oh, is it it's really woo-woo. I'll tell you, when, once I've worked with somebody with a horse, they don't think it's woo-woo anymore. Right. Because, um, you know, I'll show them that you can make that horse move just by looking at him, okay? You can make him step aside by staring at his hips. Uh, you can, you can um, change a horse's gait from 40 feet away just by changing the way you breathe. So, so, so I say, you know, here's the horse's take home message. You are more connected to the energy around you and the life forms around you than you ever thought. Because 100,000 years ago, we had that sense of being embedded in nature. And it mm -hmm. hasn't left us, it's just atrophied. And the horse comes back and says, let me show you what it means to be aware and to be mindful and to feel connected to the energy around you. Because we do put out energy. You know, I always say to somebody, so you don't believe in energy? They go, no. I go, mm -hmm. do you ever turn around at a cocktail party and, and because you felt like somebody was staring at you? They go, oh yeah, sure. I said, mm -hmm. why'd you turn around? They go, well, I felt like somebody was staring at me. What'd you, I said, what did you feel? I said, what you felt was the predatory energy in their eyes because they were fixed on you. And that's something you had 100,000 years ago to warn you that somebody is looking at you and might be hunting you down. Um, so I said, so this is all still inside of us and the horse just makes it come to life. You know, you talked um, about goal seeking, about, you know, being clear about a not having an agenda, but being clear about having a goal yep. and focusing on the goal with your horse. Um, so it allows him to know that there there is a goal. It's not just, you know, let's do this and let's do that. And in the human brain, and nobody knows this more than you, 
we are goal seekers. I think that we, as human beings, you know, we try to, uh, we have that, you know, survive meter or whatever you call it in, in your head. And, 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 you know, we're going we're gonna to fixate on a goal and we're going to get there if we have it clear. When you ride a horse and, or you ride a motorcycle, if you, if you look in the direction you want to go, you're going to go there. So, you know, what is it then with a horse that picks up on the goal? Is it the intuition? Is it the thought, the energy of that thought? Um, and, well, as first, first off, you're you're absolutely right to focus on. There's a difference between having a goal and having an agenda. Okay, mm-hmm. um, having a goal means that you go, you know what you want to see happen. You can picture it in your mind. And the example that you used of, you know, like riding a motorcycle. When I when I uh, you know on Gray's Anatomy. I, I taught Patrick Dempsey all the neurosurgery he knew, and he taught me the little bit of race car driving that I know. And, nice. and one of the things when you're racing cars is um, if you look at the guardrail that you're afraid of hitting, mm-hmm. you dive into it. You know, when yeah. you skid, you look for the open space because by looking where you want to go, by ha- shaping that in front of you, that car will go where you're looking. So it's the same thing with the goal for the horses. You want to have your intention out there. You want to be able to see what you want to have developed, but you don't want to be attached to it. In other words, if it doesn't happen, you don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, that, so, so that, that's important because if, you, if you're attached to it, then it's not going to happen because you care too much about it. But if you can let it go and say, well, I don't care if it happens, then it will tumble very easily so when i describe this to people who are training horses i say it's like skiing downhill when you don't when you're not attached to the goal it's very easy it's like skiing downhill when you're very attached to the outcome that's like trying to ski uphill you're making it very very hard for yourself so i said so let go just let go and when you let go things happen you know and it's one of the the primary lessons that you learn from uh from a horse is um it when you hold on too tight the horse can't do it mm-hmm. you you talk about let's let's talk about predator and prey because a horse is a prey animal humans are predators uh as we know and you you suggest that all a horse wants is peace all they want is peace and as you know human beings say oh all i want is peace too <laughs> but well, not necessarily true no, well, first off, don't forget we're the uber predator of the, of the planet. We've made hunting, uh, we're, we're the sport. Yeah. So, so when people say to me, what's the difference between prey and predator? The example that I like to use is I say, well, let's look at a thoroughbred racehorse versus a greyhound race. Uh, race. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thoroughbred race, you lock them up in a gate, the gate suddenly bursts open, all the horses are trying to outrun each other. So, as so to speak, to try and escape the predator, and they're getting their rear ends whacked, and then they finally get over the finish line. That's not to say horses don't have heart, they do, but those horses are the ones that want to run the fastest away from the other horses. Mm-hmm. So, they get across the finish line, they go, that's over. Okay, now the greyhounds, they have to have a mechanical rabbit. They have to have something. They go, what, what are we here for? They go, oh, I got to chase that. That's what I'm here for. That's what we're after. We're after the goal. We're after something that we're seeking something. And so predators are very goal-oriented. We go towards what we want. We have to have a treat. We have to have uh, a promotion, a bigger salary, a bigger house, a better, uh, you know, bigger sports car, whatever you're after. But we're always after something. While the prey animal is going, look. 
that life is when life is good it's just me and a couple of buddies in my herd and we're in this beautiful pasture and as far as the eye can see there's nothing threatening anywhere so the horse is after peace and tranquility we're after what can i get mm-hmm. that is a major difference a major difference um and so the, the horse is teaching you how to use peace and tranquility versus i got to get something for me uh, so it's a very different perspective. And, you know, they say if you want to be different, you got to see different. And, right. um, and so seeing the world through the eyes of a prey animal is very revealing. Yeah. You, you know, you, you tell us that we can learn leadership, leadership yeah. through the horses. You talk about the four C's of command, control, compassion, and communication. Mm-hmm. What is it or how is it that a horse is going to see us as its leader? Okay, so so one of the things, and today's probably a pretty good day to talk about leadership. Yes, yes. Um, but so one of the things the horse is looking for is, does the leader put themselves at risk? In other words, when the herd's moving around and there's something that's threatening, the horse is saying, um, the leader says, whoa, you guys stay behind. Let me check this out before you come forward. When the horse is looking, it doesn't say, well, let me see if there's enough water in that water hole for me. Uh, or let me see if there's enough browse just for me. The horse leader, the alpha mayor, has to be thinking, is this enough for the whole herd? Is this enough for everybody? Are the weakest, you know, think about a pride of lions. The biggest lion takes whatever it wants off the carcass, and then whatever's left is left for the weaker ones. That's not how prey animals work. They go, if we're a we. We have a common good that we have to think about. When When you... I mean, you have a herd. Um, you can have a herd of two, you and your horse. But when you have a bunch of horses in the field, is there still a lead horse or are you the lead horse? No, well, it, it, it's, it's quite different. If you have a group of horses are, that are by themselves, there's always a, a, a hierarchy of dominance. Mm-hmm. And that's because uh, horses can't afford in a, in a moment of flight to suddenly say, let's take a vote in which direction we go. Right. So that's one of the reasons why they put such a premium on leadership, because they go, when we move, you're going to tell us where we go, because we have to trust you. Um, Now, that's not to say when I go out into the into the field and work with those horses, they they go, oh, gosh, here comes that ugly two legged horse that we always work with. But uh, they always go, "Okay." But when he when he comes, he's he's in charge. Um, And so but again, they're looking to see, are you fair? Mm -hmm. Are you compassionate? Are you kind? Can they trust you? Because if they can't, they're not going to let you be the leader of that herd. They're going to run off and they're going to say, we're over here and you're not part of this herd. That's how horses punish other horses is by saying they don't hurt each other the way we do. They just go, you can't belong to this group until you behave. Yeah, and that's very painful, especially when you want to be part of the group so badly. Right. The horse goes, well, no, I have to be part of the herd. That's that's my identity. And they go, uh-uh, not till you learn to appreciate belonging to the herd. And then, believe me, very quickly they go, okay, I'm sorry, and I'm back in the herd. Yeah. <laughs> I just love them. They're so cute. Oh, my gosh. Lessons, lessons from the herd, for sure. Um, we are going to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, I want you to tell the story about when you gave – your leadership over to your horse okay and I, I think that's that's a really great great story and a great analogy for leadership uh we're coming right back stay tuned stay close don't go anywhere you're going to want to hear this great story 
stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. well known in medical practices that patients tend to lie about their health habits. They lie about how much they smoke, understate how much they drink or eat, and overstate how much they exercise. What's another word for those little white lies we like to tell in the examination room? Teradiddles. Doctors have a rule of thumb. Whatever the patient says they're drinking, smoking, or eating, multiply it by two. But it's hard to come clean about your habits when you know you're in for some jobation from the doctor. That's criticism we don't want to hear. If physicians want us to be honest with them, I suggest they try being a little less judgmental and use a little suaviloquence. That's soothing, encouraging talk. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Exercising every day is your goal and the lifestyle that you aspire to. But that does not mean that you have to work out in full force every single day. It's important that you enjoy your activity and look forward to it. If you push yourself too hard too often, you will deplete your energy reserves and will likely not keep up with your daily exercise. I encourage you, though, to designate some of your exercise sessions as fully engaged workouts where you are all in and giving it your all. You are upping your effort and pushing yourself to the next level. Workouts like that leave you refreshed and invigorated. Picking up the pace in your workout, whether you are swimming laps, running, biking, or walking, will give you an awesome workout. Being fully engaged in your workout pays back fantastic dividends. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Well, thanks for staying tuned. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. My guest today is Dr. Alan J. Hamilton. And we were talking just before we went to break that, you know, about leadership and, and what how horses respect people uh, there if, if you're kind and compassionate and considerate of them. But there was a time when, uh, Dr. Hamilton, Alan, you were up on a mountain. You couldn't see your way to anything. Tell us how scary what that was like. Well, we were on a trail ride. There's a, a mountain range near here uh, where I live in, in uh, Tucson, Arizona, called the Rincons. And we were coming up the backside of this mountain range. And uh, as can happen sometimes, you can be on one side of the mountains and the weather looks fine. And then, you know, you get up over the crest and then suddenly, you know, you see some, a lot of weather coming towards you. In this particular case, it was a really bad storm coming up the, up the mountainside. And uh, before we knew it, we were, you know, in pea soup. We couldn't see anything. And then it started snowing. And we were in the, the rocks and the crags. And the footing was terrible. And we had no idea where we were going. We couldn't see. And, you know, it was a really hairy situation. I mean, you're up on this mountain. You have no idea if you're going to walk off a cliff. Uh, or yeah. you know, break your horse's legs or pitch off the horse. So, you know, I, I'm just trying to pick my way and I, I have no idea where I am. So how do you pick your way? I'm, I'm, I'm going backwards and forwards and we're not going. And I just hear this, you know, this message of, uh, you know, just let go. And I, I'm, you know, I ignore it for a couple of times and I keep trying to mess around. And it says, you know, just let go. And uh, finally, I, I, you know, I realize I'm going nowhere. So I just take the reins and I knot them and I leave them on my 
horse's neck is uh, Sonny was my that trail horse that I was on, and I I I, I would put him on his neck, and uh, you know I just let go. I held on to the horn of the saddle, and I just said okay, and you know uh, Sonny picks his way through the rocks, and you know we're in the clouds. I have no idea where we are, and then about an hour later, I hear this you know clump 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 clump, and I realize. We're on the wooden bridge that leads to the parking lot that's five minutes away from the parking lot. And he's brought me all the way down the mountain safely. And it was just one of these moments that you just, uh, you know, a vivid reminder of uh, you're not in control of things as much as you think. And sometimes letting go and surrendering um, allows for the other elements in life around you to to help. Letting go, I mean, the, the voice that you heard, uh, God, Sonny, who did you think? I, uh, you know, I think I can always thought it was Sonny just trying to say, hey, buddy, I'm trying to let you know you're, you're not going to get us out of here. I can, but you can't. I don't yeah. know. I have always thought it was, you know, uh, Sonny kind of getting in my head and, and suggesting something to me. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, I believe that. And I, I took um, an amazing animal communication course with, with this woman. She was a scientist and, and she was in California. And, you know, working with her and with the other people in the class, it was amazing how maybe 90% of the time you really did hear the animal speaking to you and were so accurate. It was like incredibly just just an amazing experience. So, yeah, I, I do believe that your horse spoke I've to you. I've been around a handful of animal psychics, that, and, you know, I kind of always think that's interesting. I don't understand. Yeah. I always think it's interesting. Um, but I did have an animal psychic with Sonny. Uh, Sonny was born and raised in Colorado. And, uh, and uh, he's, you know, and, and, and obviously in Arizona, we don't have, like, a lot of running water. Uh, but um, he's really spooked by water. He, when it rains and there's puddles or when the irrigation system goes on, he kind of uh, flips out. So, you know, I've worked a lot with him on, on water. So I didn't say anything to this woman. And, uh, you know, she was just around sunny and something. And, um, and then she suddenly says, wait, what's this problem with water? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, there you go. I said, "Well, you know, you you tell me." And then, um, you know, I, I she had no way of knowing this, but um, what had happened to Sonny was he had been on a trail ride in Colorado and had been crossing a very big, rapidly moving stream, and he fell in, and oh. struggled to get to his feet and almost drowned. And so, for him, water is a very kind of almost like a PTSD kind of experience for him, and. Uh, so he's extremely leery of it. But she, she said, I, I have this picture of him. He's like swimming or something. And, and, you know, she really did pick up on what he was, uh, what was on his mind about water. And I thought that, well, you know, I was pretty impressive because I just wanted yeah. to test her abilities. I think we just lost you there. Oh, no, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, sure. So, you know, I think sometimes with, uh, you know, uh, psychics, uh, they're unusual. Those are people who are particularly uh, in tune in a way that I think most of us aren't. Um, But that said, every one of us can get in tune with horses. That's one of the things that I love about horses. Even if you're frightened to death of a horse, uh, you can still have an interaction with that horse 20 feet away and still get this incredible experience out of them. 
And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that we're missing in life a lot. Many of us are at risk. We've, we've cut ourselves off from nature to the point that we're impoverishing our, our own lives and our own well-being. So it's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm you know, really um, encourage even groups uh, for inner city kids. I, I love having them come out and start to work with horses. And I've done work with, um, for example, at-risk youth that are out of the juvenile justice system. And a lot of these kids are, you know, gangbangers and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, when I put them with a horse, I go, you will get out of this horse everything that you put into it. And this horse will never deceive you. This horse will never be deceitful. This horse will never pretend to be your friend just so he can lure you in and knock your block off. This horse will be perfectly honest with you all the time. And for some of these kids, it's the first time they've ever had a relationship like that. You know, yeah, it, it's amazing. I love I love how animals teach us so many things. I love how, you know, when you take dogs into the prison system and kids oh. working with horses who've never even seen, you know, any. Yeah, animal really in the I life. Love, I love when uh, you know. It used to be in the old days when you could order. You know, as a doctor, you could say, like uh, many times with kids who were dying, I would just say, "Dog to be at bedside three times a day," kind of thing. But yeah, they started putting all sorts of rules in place, and they go, "Well, you know, there's a there's a big health risk with bacteria." And I said, "Well, the dogs are willing to uh, to face." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, we yeah. Don't- but terrible bugs that are, you know, resistant to antibiotics. It's not the dogs that are going to bring in bad bacteria. It's the human beings who are bringing the bad bacteria. But I find the, the presence of animals uh, in every form is so therapeutic. Uh, so therapeutic. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to put therapy dog on every on every animal. <laughs> you're just oh, a therapy, absolutely. You're a therapy, therapy animal. Dog, therapy bird. My 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 wife's a clinical psychologist, and she knew this guy who used to do uh, animal therapy with a turtle. Oh, you're kidding. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter what the animal is. It it matters that uh, there's a very um, uh, interesting experiment. Uh, It's kind of surgical, but I'll I'll, I'll summarize. Yeah, let's talk about it. So it was a group of patients who were undergoing elective cholecystectomy, which is removing the gallbladder. And uh, all the surgeries were done by the same surgical team. They were all elective, no emergencies. And they took one group of patients, and they recovered in a hospital room that looked out on a wall. And the other group of patients were in a, in a hospital room, same size, but it just looked down on a single tree. And the group that looked down on a single tree had lower narcotic requirements, got out of the hospital faster, and had less complications. And you go, really, one tree? And that's how important our connection to nature is. Yeah. We don't realize it. We, we, we sell ourselves short. We were, we were raised in the bosom of mother nature. And it is we are are uh, geared to wanting to be in nature and look out on nature. You know, think about all those pullouts that you see on the road where it goes view. You know, and you go, why do we all stop there? Well, because we're all motivated to look out onto nature. It's part of it's part of the way we're wired. Uh, since we're in the hospital, let's talk about uh, teaching residents bedside manners yeah. <laughs> through horses. Yeah. I mean, it sounds crazy. Um, the, the, the reason it, I, I, it, I hit on this was one time I was really busy. I was in the emergency department, and uh, I was running very late in clinic. So I ran up to clinic, and I had all these residents and students with me, and all the patients were already in their exam room. So I kind of rushed in, and I just opened the door, and the patient screamed. 
Now, they weren't naked or anything. It was just I was so abrupt. Ah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, that they, it was like a big rush into the room. So I thought to myself, geez, if I had done that with a horse, they'd have knocked my block off. And yeah. so then I, that got me interested. And I, uh, then somebody showed a video of me talking to a patient where this was back when we used to put the films up on the light box. Yeah. And the, and the patient was behind me. And I was uh. talking to the films. And I said, you know, my body language is telling that patient I'm more interested in the films than I am in, if you can hear me. Mm-hmm. So I said, but if that was a horse, I'd be standing next to him to send the message that we're partners. So I said, so the next time I stood next to the patient and I said, the physical messages were looking at your films together because we're a team. And that just led me to develop a course, which we've now taught for 12 years, where I teach the students bedside manner. Because guess what? When you have a 1,200 pound patient who's looking at your body language, you get to be very, very proficient at making sure that you're gentle and that your body language shows that you're attentive. I love that. What great lessons. Yeah, I (laughs) wouldn't think of it, but we shot video uh, when people would be in the room presenting the case to the other doctors, and all the doctors were at the foot of the bed talking to each other, and the patient was like a paperweight. Yeah, hello, I'm here. Yeah, Yeah. so, so we then said, no, let's have the resident stand next to the patient take the guardrail, the bedrail down, and the, the message is, I, we're presenting my case to the rest of you, not you're talking about my case and I'm not here. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's all those things matter. How you move your hands on a patient to let them know where you are when you're examining them. For example, listening to their back with a stethoscope. Rather mm-hmm. than just put the stethoscope on them and surprise them, you let them feel your hand moving from one part of the chest to the other. And it's the same thing with a horse. You don't make those unexpected moves because it's a 1,200-pound animal. You know, um, do they actually come to the farm? Mm-hmm. Or those lessons? Yeah, they do. Okay. Well, they, <clears throat> they work. There's six horses that they work with, and they even they learn to give them shots. That's another. Yeah. Learn to give shots to a 1,200-pound animal that can knock your block off. Yeah. You learn to give shots very gently and expertly. Um, so it's it's very good for them, and they and they learn learn very gentle, calm body language. We are going to go to a one more break. This is our last break, and when we come back, Dr. Hamilton, I want you to tell me your story of how your whole family owes its life to a horse. Can't wait to hear that story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I want to talk about the Lipizzans. Uh, you know, I'm from Austria, so I just have this absolute adoration for them. And okay. I think they're amazing. So let's talk about Romeo, too. Okay. We got we got some time. Let's yeah. do it. Stay tuned. Stay close. We're coming right back. Find out how the horse saved his family. <laughs> That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. 
This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. night my husband was laughing as he was reading about the differences between men and women according to the article men get single tusks or hiccups more often than women everyone knows that women are better at multitasking than men i'm good at both multitasking and procrastinating which means right now there are 28 things that i'm putting off until later What's another word for a person who puts everything off until the last minute? A cunctator. Women blink nearly twice as much as men. And while men can read smaller print than women, women can hear better. In fact, when a woman says, what? She heard you. She's just giving you a chance to change what you said. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And you're back. It's Mission Unstoppable. And I am your host, Frankie Picasso. My guest today is Dr. Alan J. Hamilton. And he is going to tell us a story about how a horse saved his life or his family's life, really, or how they came to be. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, my grandfather uh, raised me. Um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, my, my, my household was one where there was domestic violence, and my mom got myself and herself and my brother out of there. My grandfather helped raise us, and he was a cavalry officer and a very accomplished equestrian. He had uh, ridden in the Spanish riding school. Oh, and, yeah. And um, so everything that we did together was always, uh, we were both horse crazy. I guess part of it was genetic and part of it was just uh, nurture, you know, environment. But yeah. we just did everything with horses. And uh, when my grandfather w- had went to World War One, he had a, a wonderful horse named Otto. And uh, um and he told my grandmother when he left not to worry because uh, nothing would happen to him. Otto would take care of him. And in two years after the war was uh, going on, in, in 1916, my grandfather's cavalry unit came over a ridge and they were hit by uh, mortar fire on the other side. And uh, shell went off and Otto uh, did what he was trained to do. He reared up and took the full brunt of the shell um, and it, it blew his legs off and um, um, eviscerated him. My grandfather, um, he saved my grandfather's life. My grandfather had to shoot him. Yeah. Although they were forbidden to use their bullets to shoot their horses, he did. And later, my grandfather was awarded uh, the highest medal for military valor. It was given to him by the Emperor Franz Josef himself and wow. the Habsburg Palace. And my, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by this beautiful medal, as you can imagine. And I would always want to see it. And every time I would ask to see it, my grandfather would take it out of the case and would show me the picture of Otto inside the case. And he would say, I, I never want you to forget that we all owe our life to Otto, to we all owe our life to that horse because none of us would be here if he hadn't given his life up for me. And uh, so that was, you know, we all, we, I have a picture of Otto. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always remind myself, we, uh, Otto was the one who saved us all. But uh, yeah, and, and, and I, you know, I think uh, because of my grandfather, I raised uh, Lippets on. Uh, yeah. Horse. And uh, they're a wonderful, wonderful breed of horses. Unbelievable. 
and they're you know they're um, beautiful line, um, you know more than 450 years old. And um, I had uh, Lippitz on stallions, and you know stallions are notorious for being hard to uh, handle. Um, mm -hmm. Even though they were dealing with stallions most of the time, I mean, I would use them with perfect novices. They were perfectly well behaved, and uh, and um, I had wonderful, wonderful friendships. I had a, a beautiful horse that was just uh, my my go-to horse when I would do demonstrations and everything. And he was he was named Romeo, and uh, he uh, he he passed away. He developed colic and died. Friend of mine had done a movie about uh, working with horses called Playing with Magic. Uh, a guy named Wayne Ewing is an Emmy Award-winning uh, director, and, and if your listeners are interested, it's a beautiful movie about how horses save people and people save horses. It's just wonderful. And uh, we were uh, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the movie part of the movie, and it was being shown at a film festival, and unbeknownst to me, um, at the very end of the movie, Wayne had put. Uh, this film is dedicated to Romeo. So we're waiting for the film to end because they want a panel discussion. Okay? Only I get to the end of the movie and I'm just sobbing. When yeah. Opens, I'm, in the, I'm in the panel and I'm just bawling my eyes out because of that, what he did to dedicate the film to Romeo. So the uh -huh. whole audience is you know, just looking at this poor guy trying to wipe his tears and collect himself. Um, but he was my my great buddy and great friend and just a, a wonderful partner. Ah, you know, I, in the book you talk about the the magic of four. You know, don't ask your horse to do something more than four right. times. Uh, right. Cinch up, you know, your girth four times. Right. And I, I think I don't know how many times I went out with my horse Cavalier. His name was Cav, <laughs> and and you know he was white. He had these beautiful blue eyes, and and you know every single time we'd be out there in the middle of the field, and boom, Frankie go underneath the horse. And I I, I should have known better, and yeah. you know, but I was just. <laughs> it's, he, it's, he, he had so much fun doing it. I think it was just like, it's one of those things, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you just, um, you, you know, what what's it, to me the take home lesson about the girth is, um, you know, don't don't take things for granted. You know, don't just just pay attention to the details, do the preparation that you need to do, and then go out and enjoy yourself. But um, you know, you, you just can't just walk out there and say, well, I I don't have to do anything to earn it. You do. Um, and that's usually how life life works, is you have to do something to earn uh, the real pleasures, whether it's you have to hike up to the mountain to see the view, or you have to put your time in uh, training a horse. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the hard work that pays off. Let's talk about very quickly how we can get this book, and then we're going to talk about Election Day. In the U.S. Okay, well, the easy answer is you can get it anywhere, any major bookstore or on Amazon.com. Um, or you can go to my website, which is AllenHamilton.com, A-L-L-A-N, and it'll lead you right to the book and how to get it. Lead with your heart, lessons from a life with horses. Awesome. Okay, so the horses and, and you have some thoughts about the election today. Right. I actually, I actually wrote a blog uh, about about what the horses would think about the election. <laughs> uh, so if you're interested, you can go take a look on my website. Definitely uh, got to read that. But, but you know, I think what one of the things the horses would say is um, for America is um, you're at the point of shredding yourselves apart um, because you're thinking about me, me, me. 
uh, and you're not thinking about we, the greater we. And um, you know, I think we're on the precipice of some of our institutions uh, disintegrating. And I think what the horse would say to us is, um, you have to pull all of the members of the herd together. And the, the, the trick for the herd to be safe is everybody goes together. So if you want to lead people to prosperity, everybody has to be led to prosperity. If you want there to be justice, there has to be justice for everyone. Um, you know, that, that saying is you, you don't judge society by how the, the most gifted and the most privileged are taken care of. You judge your society by how the least of you, the weakest, the least privileged, mm -hmm are treated. And so, you know, I, so the way we treat, for example, um, the people, the refugees from Syria, when you look at those children, um, you know, you turn around and say to yourself that if you can close your heart to them, mm -hmm. then you're closing your heart to everybody. And the horse would say, no, the herd is about all of us. Uh, and so I think, you know, the horse would say, go back to the institutions that support the herd and stop thinking about the few and the privileged and how do you eat what you kill and get what you want and not worry about who you leave behind. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? You are listening to the horse wisdom from one of the leading intellects of the 21st century, Dr. Alan J. Hamilton. And I, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank thank you and thank the, the horses because uh, I think you're right on. And I think, you know, I think that's what Bernie was saying, Bernie Saunders, which, you know, I so hoped Bernie would have been our leader because even though, you know, with age comes wisdom, but with him just comes so much compassion uh, that it just... Um, it, I was so sorry. My husband and I were so sorry that America didn't have a chance to uh, be led to greatness by, by somebody who was thinking about the herd yeah, rather I, than themselves. I agree. That's where the passion really came from is you knew he was thinking about the herd. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Karina's our, you know, our engineer today. And, and Karina, you're young. I mean, you're, you're a young person in America. Tell us, tell us your thoughts. Oh, um. My thoughts? Yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, well, I will say that I just think everyone should vote. Um, and Well, because I'm actually a part of League of Women Voters here in Tyler, Texas, our branch. And we definitely need people to go out and vote. And even though this, this election, some people are kind of in between, which I don't mm -hmm. really see how. But anyways, um, that there is more than just, you know, the two parties. But because it's really 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 crucial to um get out there and vote for um regardless just go thank you it. for saying that it <laughs> is true do thank you for what you do trying to get people out to vote um you mm. know voter suppression and uh and, and making it hard for people to have their voice is one of the terrible terrible things that's happening now mm -hmm. in america and uh, talk about cutting the herd off um yeah people have their voice that is the most undemocratic thing I can think of. And and not and some people think, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't like the candidates. But not voting is is casting a vote, exactly. and you're not able to, you know, your vote's going to go. It it, it could have gone to help. So exactly. please go out and vote. <laughs> I always remind people as a as a former army officer. I always think about all the thousands and thousands of people who died to protect our right to democracy yeah. and yes. not voting 
is is not recognizing the sacrifice they made for you to have that right. Good point. Good point. Keep keep America free. At least you have the vote. At least you're able to do that, which is really important. And and I worry that when you know Trump is your president and dictator, um, that would probably surely go away very quickly. <laughs> so it's something to hold on to. Uh, Dr. Hamilton, wow. Thank you so much for coming back. It's been eight years. I can't believe it's been so long. And I hope that, you know, I get to speak to you sooner rather than later again. And and if you allow me, I'll come visit your ranch. <laughs> anytime, anytime. You have a VIP pass. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Because I love Tucson. It's one of my favorite places. So uh, definitely going to do that. Thank you again. And pl- folks, you know, this book should be on your your list for Christmas. It's a great stocking stuffer. Whether you love horses or not, uh, it doesn't matter. It's got beautiful uh, picture, you know, um, graphics in it. It's got beautiful quotes in it. It's it's a it's a short little book. It's a tiny book, but it's got a hard cover and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And I think that you should make sure that it goes into your stocking or at least uh, to your favorite person on the Christmas list. So definitely keep it by their bedside table. Um, as Dr. Hamilton said, it's got a hundred. 12 essays in it, I think, short essays. It doesn't have to be read. Uh, you know, you can just randomly read it and get a lesson for the, for the day. <laughs> from the horse. From the horse's mouth. The horse's actually. mouth. Exactly. Straight from the horse's mouth. Thank you. Again, uh, my guest was Dr. Alan Hamilton. You can go to his website and look at all the wonderful things that he's done. He's done amazing things in his life and has so much to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for tuning into Mission Unstoppable Radio. I do appreciate it. Karina, thanks again for looking after the show. And we will be back next week. And um, I hope that you all have a successful election in the U.S. today. I really do. We'll be, we'll be uh, looking on from Canada and, and praying. Take care. And don't forget to come back next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Frankie, thank you. Thank you so much. Anytime. Anytime. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.